Our doctor is in, and so are the doctors of Capital Health. Welcome to the all-new Health 411. Every Sunday morning at 10, Dr. Jonathan Karp, along with our respected panel of guests from Capital Health, take you on an important medical journey to help you navigate your health and the healthcare system. To reach your destination, good health. Health 411 is underwritten by Capital Health. Minds advancing medicine. Capital Health is the region's leader in providing progressive quality patient care with exceptional physicians, nurses, and staff, as well as advanced technology. 1077 The Bronx. 1077 The Bronx. Bronc.com, proudly nominated for National Association of Broadcasters 2019 and 2021 Marconi Award for Best College Radio Station. We are broadcasting from the Bronx All Digital Studios on the Lawrenceville campus of Ryder University. Welcome to this program, Health 411. I'm your host, Professor Jonathan Karp. This Health 411 program is presented by Capital Health Medical Center. In Health 411, we discuss a variety of issues affecting health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the science of health and healthcare. Our goal is to expand knowledge and perspective. Today, Dan Geller, our student producer, and I are going to have a conversation of something we haven't talked about in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, going back in a little bit of time, Dan, I think before you came on board. When it was other Dan. When, when it was the other Dan, <laughs> even before that, we did a lot of shows about the COVID-19 virus. Of course. We did shows about the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm-hmm. We did a whole bunch of stuff, and we've, we, we haven't gotten into it in, in a little while, but we're going to readdress the issues um, for a couple reasons. Um, one reason was sort of in my in my life here you know outside of Ryder I have a friend whose daughter has a daughter who is a 20 something just like you're a 20 something I'm a 20 yeah yeah, yeah you're a 20 <laughs> my daughter's a couple she's a, she's out of college so mm-hmm. she's, she's a, a mid 20 something and she started to have some um, uh, vascular problems mm-hmm. Right, some potentially serious vascular problems, mm-hmm. and one of the comments was, um, I said to her, which is great. Oh, that's unusual for somebody in their twenties to be having that. Yeah, uh, and what my friend said is, yeah, that's exactly what the physician said mm-hmm. of what's going on, and it, it made me think a little bit about what's going on, um, and what's sort of been termed now long COVID in mm-hmm. terms of cardiovascular disease, and so I did, I did a little bit of. Um, background research and found and i found an article in nature medicine that recently came out mm-hmm. um and it was it was right on right on target the the, the name of this article was long-term cardiovascular outcomes of covid 19. yeah very related very related bingo and so i said okay i know every it seems like everywhere we turn in the world right now you can find a lot of covid information mm-hmm. but i thought it would be worthwhile to come and talk about this paper i shared it with you yes um you know, I found it very, very interesting, um, and we're gonna dig. We're gonna dig into it now. Mm-hmm. Let, let's just start to provide a little background. I think by this point, everybody who's listening, everybody, almost everywhere who could read um, and write and pay attention to the world knows what COVID is and what's happening. Yeah. Um, and from the very, very early stages, even though 
the, a lot of the, the, the emergency stuff that happens with COVID has to do with breathing. People have known from the early stages that infection with the SARS coronavirus 2 virus damages the heart and blood vessels. Mm -hmm. That's not new. Yeah. Um, and that happens while people are ill, especially when they first, first get ill. It's not necessarily what kills people who get the most ill. What kills people who get the most ill? Uh, lung inflammation. Yes, breathing, yes. Prob breathing problems. Um, and so the inability to breathe is one of those things that's not compatible with life. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, clearly. <laughs> Unless you're an anaerobic bacteria, then. Uh. Correct. And um, But some of the other things that are happening in the body. So the virus doesn't specifically target the lungs. Mm -hmm. the, the virus targets tissues that have a receptor for the human angiotensin converting enzyme 2. Okay, that's news to me. Oh, okay, that's right. So, so, oh, so you're admitting you didn't go back and re-listen to our, our immunology I, professor I, and some of I our- I have to say <laughs> that I did not listen to, the, well, to I, Dr. Riggs. I encourage you to go back. We had several shows about it, um, talking about the virus, but I'll take a step back and do that. So uh, the spike protein on the coronavirus mm -hmm. itself um, is, gets into human cells that have the, the angiotensin-converting enzyme 2 receptor. Mm -hmm. Now, angiotensin-converting enzyme 2 is, uh, is a thing that's in the blood that converts angiotensin 1 to angiotensin 2. It's involved with a lot of things mm -hmm. all over the body, including you know water balance, thirst, mm -hmm. uh, a whole bunch of things. But the, the spike protein on the coronavirus uh, people have identified, and they've actually made the vaccines against this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, yeah, it's been studied for over 20 years at this point, right? Well, um, the viruses that are in this family have been yes. studied for a very long time. That's what I meant. Because it's the SARS coronavirus 2 mm -hmm. means that there was another SARS coronavirus um, a long time ago, and it's related to some other viruses. That be that as it may, be that as it may, is that the, the lungs are not the only tissues that have this receptor on mm -hmm. it. And what happens is, is that that the, the that spike protein binds to this receptor and gets into human cells, and then like viruses do, they take over the machinery of human cells, mm -hmm. and it, it becomes really bad because. To make a long story short, is the cells stop being the kind of cell they're supposed to be, whether mm -hmm. it's a long cell exchanging oxygen and carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. um, and it sort of takes on properties where it stops doing what it's supposed to do and does something else. So correct me, right? So the usual way a virus is replicating is they attach to the receptor, they inject viral DNA, and then that multiplies them, right? Is that similar to what's going on here? Yeah, except the fact that the coronavirus 2 virus is an RNA virus. Okay. <laughs> um, so they, they inject material, they, in a sense, inject their, their genetic material into host cells. Um, and then they use the machinery of the host cells to make more virus particles. Okay. In, in sort of escaping from the host immune mm -hmm. system because they're intracellular and, and stuff like that. And in that process, they also kind of convert the cell into a different type of cell that's not doing what it's supposed to be doing? It, that, that, that can happen. Okay. Yeah, yes, that, that can certainly happen. And when they were keeping people alive, um, it was very, very important to, to keep people alive. And so they studied what was this virus doing in the lungs and all this stuff. But what's happening now is there have been enough people who have been infected with coronavirus and survived, mm -hmm. which is wonderful. Yeah. Some of them hospitalized, some of them not hospitalized. Uh, some people have been hospitalized, you know, but not everybody who's hospitalized has to go to, to the, the ICU, the intensive care <laughs> yeah. unit. So you have all these 
levels of people who get infected and don't have to be institutionalized and then people who are infected and just have to be in a hospital for a little while and be monitored and, and people who go to the ICU, probably the ones who are getting um, the breathing help. What's interesting now is there has been at least a year of time, mm -hmm. you know, plus plus yeah, well. for, for data analysis and connection and all that sort of stuff where people have survived the coronavirus and now the data is coming out is what are the effects of coronavirus infection mm -hmm. on other systems of the body hence long-term cardiovascular outcomes of COVID-19 right and this is very very interesting because there are some and they tend to be sort of severe mm -hmm. um, and so what this uh, paper basically sought out to do was to look at in a, and this is one of the reasons that, that I'm bringing it to people's attention, is because a ginormous amount of people were studied in this particular Yeah, way. I think it was something like what? 15 million total, um, right? I don't think it was quite that many. I think if you add them up, it's more like 12 million people. Okay, right, yeah. They about had that. about, uh, you know, uh, I'm looking at about 5.8 million people in one group, 5.6 in another, and 150,000 right. in another group. Um, and what those people were, were participants in the study. Um, and they actually followed these people over like a year long period. And mm -hmm. this particular study followed uh, the, 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 these individuals. Um, some of them had coronavirus, some of them did not, almost everybody was immunized. Mm -hmm. The big database uh, came from the U.S. Department of Veterinary Affairs, sort of their national- v um, Veterinary? Uh, vet vet veterans Affairs. Veterans Affairs. U.S. Department of Veterans not Affairs. Not studying animals. They're not studying animals, my goof. So they had, a, they, the, uh, they had 150,000 of people in that database who were infected with COVID-19 and survived. Then they had a control group of um, age on everything matched cohort of 5.6 million users from the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, Veterans Health Administration database um, who had never been infected with the virus. And they compared that to people from uh, the, 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 from the veteran health, <laughs> veterans health, um, the, vet veterans health. the Veterans Health Administration database um, uh, who were non-COVID infected. So they mm -hmm. compared these groups of people over like a year long period and they specifically looked at cardiovascular disorders. Mm -hmm. And they just didn't look at, oh, what is cardiovascular health? They looked at dysrhythmias, they looked at inflammatory diseases of the heart, so pericardium, mm -hmm. which is the tissue surrounding the heart. They looked at ischemic heart disease, which is, uh, right, uh, which is reduced blood flow to the heart. They look at heart failure, uh, cardiomyopathy. A myriad, heart, a myriad of different conditions for sure. A whole bunch of things, like 20 of 20 something of them. They looked at clotting diseases. Mm -hmm. They looked at all sorts of uh, major adverse cardiovascular events. Um, and they controlled for things like age, race, sex, obesity, smoking, hypertension. Yep. This is a very, and I'm gonna say powerful 
study. And mm -hmm. I don't mean powerful in like, I can beat you up, you can't <laughs> beat me up. Power in statistics yeah. uh, is, a, is, a, is a term, it's the probability of not making a type two error. So you have a study here with a large data set over a lot of people over a long time. Longitudinal studies are sort of like the golden carrot mm -hmm. in, in science. They're not like cross-sectional and you can learn a lot from them. We're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about this study and what was learned mm -hmm. after some brief underwriting announcements. Hang on, Dan, you're listening to 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all-new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. We are talking on Health 411 and recording at the Digital Bronx Studios. So welcome back. I'm Professor Jonathan Karp. I'm here with Daniel Geller, and we're having a conversation about long-term cardiovascular outcomes of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. This, what we're talking about, we're going to talk about some database stuff that's based on a study that came out in Nature Medicine that had, you know, like almost 12 million people mm -hmm. in it from large databases. Um, and what they did here is they measured a statistic, something called a hazard ratio. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you've encountered before? I haven't. Okay, what a hazard ratio is, is sort of a ratio as a numerator oh, yeah. and a denominator <laughs> as you go. Um, but what they looked at in, in a nutshell, the easiest way of looking at it is if you have a disease or something, an outcome that you're interested in, you put that in the numerator, the number of people who have it, and in the denominator, you put the control group, mm -hmm. right? Sort of a, a matched control group on many things you want. That creates a ratio, mm -hmm. right? If that ratio of disease to controls is one, there's no difference between the disease and the controls. Mm -hmm. If that ratio is under one, which means a denominator is larger than the numerator, right. correct? Yes. Because only two ways to make a fraction, mm -hmm. bigger or smaller, right? Um, is then you would say that there's a reduced risk. Mm -hmm. If that number is larger than one, let's say two, three, four, five, or larger, mm -hmm. it tells you that there's a a, a greater hazard of having the disease relative to, or whatever being measured yeah, in this case, right. relative controls. And that is sort of interesting because that was the main measurement they used in this paper. Yeah, I saw I saw a lot of information regarding the hazard ratio that, throughout. So that's what the hazard ratio sort of is. And then you can do things with that hazard ratio, like build a 95% confidence interval. We don't have to go into, we, we can we can nerd out off Yeah, I'm definitely point. not a statistician, yeah. but. Okay. but. Remember, we were saying in the last segment that they measured the hazard ratio, something also, also called the excess burden per 100,000 people, all these measures. And what they found is that uh, it, it's in sort of a nutshell, in this study involving like 150,000 people with COVID, 5.6 million contemporary controls, 5.8 million historical controls, mm -hmm. that's a lot of people. So would that would that refer to the era before COVID when you say historical yeah, Historical control? controls, okay. correct. These are people before the, the, the COVID was a thing. Right. So people from a database in 2017. Well, you know, you know what I mean? Yes. So th it's sort of neat what they're comparing it to, right? And they followed these people up over years. And, you know, the people with COVID-19 who survived COVID-19, exhibited increased risks, increased risks, I'm having trouble speaking today, and 12-month burdens of incidence of cardiovascular diseases, including 
cerebrovascular disorders, dysrhythmias, inflammatory heart disease, mm -hmm. ischemic heart disease, heart failure, thromboembolic disease, those are blood clots, mm -hmm. and other cardiac disorders. That's a lot of stuff. That is a lot Everything of they measure. And to, to, to one of the things they do in these studies is they try to control for a whole bunch of things. These risks were evident, these COVID-19 infection risks uh, were evident irrespective of age, sex, race, and the other cardiovascular factors that they were able mm -hmm. to look at in these studies, including obesity, hypertension, diabetes, kidney disease, high lipid levels, and all these sort of things. Right? And what mm -hmm. there's, so what's the take home message from this? The take home message from this, from this study is that the, the risks associated with COVID infection in terms of cardiovascular disease exist independently of other known risks of cardiovascular Including disease. Including vaccination. Well, that's one of the things, the historical controls. Yeah. Right, the, 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 right, vaccination was one of the things they looked at. Because um, some vaccines carry a small risk of uh, myocarditis and pericarditis. Yeah, but this was way yeah, over but this and is, Yeah, you, and, and, it, and it's, 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 it's going off on a little tangent, that's an important thing because there are people who to even to this day are resistant of getting vaccinated mm -hmm. because of those statistically almost insignificant risks um, that, that are out there for things like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm not going to get vaccinated until enough people are. They yeah. know, it, the, the number of people that happens to are so infinitesimally small mm -hmm. that that's not a good reason not to get yeah, vaccinated. Clearly. Almost every vaccine has some some side effects. Yeah, I mean, you, you get know. a flu shot, you feel sick for a day or two. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, they actually looked at vaccination and what they found in here is that the, you know, their analysis that, you know, that looked at patients at time of vaccination and beyond and controlled for that, uh, you know, as a, a time covariate, uh, the, 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 the risk of, you know, myocarditis and pericarditis reported in the study uh, is, it was evident regardless mm -hmm. of vaccination status. Yes. So that's like, Please don't harp on that mm -hmm. as you talk to people about what's going on with COVID yeah. and, and stuff like this. And so the bottom line was, and this is what's now one of the things of what's called long COVID, mm -hmm. that if you survive that initial infection, which, you know, more and more people are doing it now, mm -hmm. um, there's these long-term consequences. And, you know, to make you know, a long story story, what's some of the things they say in this paper as they're talking about it? You're asking me? Yeah, I'm oh. asking you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they basically said that, you know, there's a lot of mechanisms that cause this. We're going to come to the mechanisms. Don't, don't worry about the mechanisms. What's the punchline here? They're saying so many people worldwide are infected with the COVID-19. We already know about all this. Oh, you know, stop smoking because mm -hmm. cardiovascular problems. You know, don't be obese, right? Control your diabetes. Mm -hmm. All these sort of things have cardiovascular outcomes, yes. the, a, a adverse cardiovascular events. What they're finding here was the effect of the COVID-19 infection mm -hmm. was greater over and above all those other well-known, well-established, you know, look, you, okay. know, you, know you, you could come up to me and say, hey, Professor Karp, mm -hmm. lose some weight, right? Because I'm concerned <laughs> about your heart and your mm -hmm. cardiovascular health. And somebody would say, you know, oh, yeah, crap, lose some weight because it's a well-known thing. Stop smoking, mm -hmm. right? Control your diabetes. 
stop drinking alcohol, doing all those risk factor kind of things for cardiovascular disease. But what they're sh showing here by looking at controlling for things and looking at these hazard ratios, and the numbers for the hazard ratios were pretty big. Mm -hmm. Some of them were actually... It was know, like two, three, some of them. Up to 10. Up to 10, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we're looking at risk factors that are not just epidemiological at the population level, mm -hmm. which a lot of those other risk factors are for cardiovascular disease. The risk factors um, of COVID infection for all those cardiovascular events, all of them were over and above those other things. Mm -hmm. So COVID yeah. is significantly more of a risk factor for, you know, cardiomyopathies and such things than, you know, diseases that we typically think that carry a high risk of that. Um, yeah, and, and that's, that's, you know, that's, that, the, that's the thing, because as we enter sort of the quote unquote post-COVID error, mm -hmm. right, is that COVID might become the highest risk factor for cardiovascular negative outcomes. Right, right. Right. That's the warning, you know, and this is so important because you still see it. Even professional athletes talk about, oh, the COVID-19 infection. It's just like the flu. Yeah. And now we're seeing that that's not the case at no. all because we don't we don't see this sort of long flu thing with the flu. There is no such thing as a long yeah, flu. Yeah, you get it and it goes away. So my, my question for you right. is what exactly causes COVID? What is different about COVID that can cause such, you know, problems down the line that something like the flu wouldn't cause? Um, the answer is uh, to be determined. To be determined. The research is still going on. Okay. And, and, and I think this might have been what you were getting into with bringing up sort of the mechanisms of action, right. um, proposed mechanism of action, which is why I talked about uh, how the virus sort of attacks or gets into human cells, mm -hmm. why that's important. Because one of the uh, possibilities for the mechanism of action for long COVID is that uh, the virus gets into cells and cells continue to express the virus even after you have survived it. So it could create sort of a long-term reservoir or a long-term um, inflammatory cascade. Mm -hmm. and, uh, one common thing that's coming out of a lot of things is that long-term inflammation is not healthy. Long-term yeah. inflammation has a lot of side effects. So there, you, so that you have this sort of like a lingering viral infection. That's one thing that that could happen. There also could be um, uh, uh, changes in you know cardiovascular the the vasculature tone mm -hmm. that's due to changes in like. Uh, uh, angiotensin converting enzyme two receptors, mm -hmm. uh, which dysregulates things like the renin angiotensin aldosterone system. You could have uh, alterations in cytokines. You can have what's sometimes called fibrosis and scarring of tar cardiac tissue. Mm -hmm. um, there's all these possibilities that are out there. The answer, and they talk about them in the paper. Right, and people sort of these days are feeling that COVID is over. No, that's bingo. That's the point that's of the this. Po exactly. Long-term COVID. Yeah, COVID is not over. There's going to be long-term adverse effects. Mm -hmm. And we're going to start seeing them in people who are not the typical people with cardiovascular mm -hmm. disease. The typical person with cardiovascular disease is you know, middle-aged person yep. who's had a long history of high blood pressure, mm -hmm. diabetes, obesity, all these sort all of things. Of those. But what are we starting to see now? Which is why I started off with the story of my friend's 20-something-year-old yeah. who was a COVID survivor mm -hmm. without a family history of anything is having cerebrovascular problems mm -hmm. that, you know, 
people have physicians had not seen before in a young population. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to come back. We're running out of time for this segment, Dan, segment, Dan. We're going to come back and we will continue to talk about this. What's called long COVID after some brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to 107.7 The Bronx and 107.7 thebronkcom There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health Minds Advancing Medicine. 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. We are recording from the Digital Bronx Studios on the Lawrenceville campus of Ryder University. Welcome back to Health 411. Dan and I right now are continuing a conversation talking about the long-term cardiovascular outcomes of COVID-19. And we were talking about a paper that came out fairly recently Mm -hmm. in the Nature Medicine Journal. Then there's a paper that studied, you know, almost 12 million people Mm -hmm. looking at what we call the hazard ratio. And um, some people might say, well, every study has some criticisms associated with it. Every study's got some stuff. Mm -hmm. What were some of the criticisms of this paper? So in this paper... um they apparently it was a very large population of white men that were studied and over 90 percent of the people in these databases happened to be white men yeah and the other thing was that the control group a lot of them could have had COVID and just simply not reported it or simply not been tested for it and so that would kind of move the hazard ratio closer to null than it would have been had they had um been confirmed to have COVID that's true. They mentioned that. And that's something that if there were unrecognized COVID cases, which I feel like is a lot of COVID cases, that, that might have been. But that would have been evidence mm-hmm. sort of in the opposite direction to the effects observed. That would have sort of reduced that ratio of diseased yep. controls. Right. And sort of in a sense, if that was the case, that actually lowered the hazard ratio. Mm-hmm. Right. So when we, when we introduce the idea that the COVID-19 infection might be might out, might surpass mm-hmm. some of these other known risk factors for cardiovascular disease. The data in this paper with those caveats, it was, you know, 90% males, 70-something plus white people. Yeah. Um, you forgot to add that because these are historical databases, the people tended to be on average, not everybody, yeah. like, you know, my, like 60 years old-ish kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but do any of those factors, are there any racial male-female differences or age in terms of COVID-19 infection? Um, I don't think so. There aren't. You know, I don't think the health, so. The, the, the outcomes of, are affected by age, health status, and all these other things of COVID-19 infections. Mm-hmm. However, the virus doesn't discriminate. Yeah. The virus likes people, likes humans, right? Mm-hmm. And so in the language is sort of like the COVID-19 is an equal opportunity offender. Mm-hmm. So yes, those are some limitations in the study. And one would expect follow-up studies to look at populations of different age, include more women, look at uh, um, not you know different ethnic backgrounds kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, all that kind of stuff is coming. But what is very, very strong is that knowing that this virus affects everybody now, Another possibility is, and they looked at this in the paper, how sick you got from the infection. Did that right, determine cardiovascular right. outcome? Yeah. So the Th- more this is, this is why I set it up earlier and said mm-hmm. they had infected people. Some people are infected, go to hospitals. Some don't. The ones who go to hospitals, some just stay in a room somewhere. But some of them end up in the ICU. Mm-hmm. Did it matter in it terms did. of 
What did, what did they it find It didn't out? matter. So the worse the condition of COVID that you had, the, the greater risk of cardiovascular problems you have down the line. Down the line. That's sort of interesting. Yeah. So when you get cured of COVID, it doesn't mean you're cured well, of you're, the- You're not the, cured of COVID. Not, exactly. And all, all, remember, you're not cured of COVID because remember, when you ask the question, what's the mechanism of action for the disease? These things are related to long-term consequences that are related to, you know, um, virus hanging out in cells, mm -hmm. virus doing things long time that not necessarily make you sick, mm -hmm. but there's ongoing inflammation. And that's what cytokines are. That's what all that sort of- you All know, those little cellular, cellular body, cellular proteins. Ungood un stuff. Yes. And that's what's going on. So those are fair criticisms of the paper. Mm -hmm. it, it and they, and they were transparent about it. They yep, definitely it, let it, the it, reader know. Exactly. Now, criticisms of a paper, people who are not used to reading the scientific literature, don't doesn't invalidate the stuff that's and in I, the paper. And I was reading that, and I was like, I could see how somebody who isn't used to this could misconstrue this as yeah. invalid. Oh, my God. It makes, cause there are, but that's, that is a misunderstanding about how science works. Yeah. Remember, no paper conclusively concludes anything, mm -hmm. right? The language of science is probability, it's probabilistic outcomes. Mm -hmm. but, but what's happening here with these huge hazard ratios is the probability of these outcomes is very, very high. It's very strong and, evidence. And the warning is, is that um, healthcare agencies, governments, insurance companies, right? There's probably going to be mm -hmm. some long-term consequences yeah. associated with cardiovascular disease um, related to these things. Pretty cool, huh? Very cool. Did the paper make you think about anything else? The paper, that, that's what you what you just touched on, is that uh, it, it said that most governments around the world aren't prepared to deal with these cardiovascular outcomes far, uh, further down the line, you know, um, and they need to be. Yeah, because we're looking. This is this this is not just something that's going to happen in the U.S. This is a worldwide. Remember, this is a pandemic that's yeah. happening. And a lot of places where this, this pandemic was this pandemic was worse isn't aren't places that kind of have the the you know I say first world medical care that would allow them to treat this effectively and do it in bulk because people are going to come in swarms with cardiovascular. Well, 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 yeah, well, yeah, I mean, yes. And the, the answer is, is that just because you survived a COVID infection in, you know, 2021 or mm -hmm. 2022, doesn't mean you're not gonna die of COVID related things, you know, in 2030 yeah. or something like that. It's gonna be a very, very interesting thing to watch, mm -hmm. right? Another criticism you didn't bring up, but I'm gonna bring it up, is like, oh my God, maybe this only has to do with cardiovascular things. Yeah, so that's what the paper talked about, but that doesn't mean that's all it is. Correct. Do you think that there could be other things going on? Sure. What are some of the other symptoms of COVID infection that happen to people? Um, neurological conditions. Bingo, that's a big one. Some of the neurological things are what? Tremors. It was like Parkinson's-like symptoms, okay. correct? Fatigue. Fatigue. Lethargia. Fatigue was a big one. Memory problems. Yeah. Okay. What's sort of interesting <laughs> is this is, you know, like I said, this is a huge ass database of people. Yeah. They can mine this database for a, little, a lot of information. The same group used the same database and recently also published a paper in the British Medical Journal, mm -hmm. right? That's the one I was fumbling with. Trying to yeah, trying to Google my, it. Trying yeah. to pull up on my screen right before we started recording. Now, using the same data set in the British Medical Journal, the, this group 
um, using the same people. They had, you know, 150 some odd thousand infected veterans, 5.8 million uninfected people. Um, they had the 5.6 million people historical controls. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you what they found. Mm -hmm. Survivors of COVID-19 were 46% more likely than controls to have been diagnosed with any of the 14 neuropsychiatric disorders they looked at. Mm -hmm. Remember in the cardiovascular paper, they looked at arrhythmias, they looked at my myocarditis, pericarditis, mm -hmm. heart attacks, thrombotic clotting, disorders, yeah, clotting disorders, a whole bunch of stuff. I think altogether there were 20 different cardiovascular things. A lot. They were looked at 14 neuropsychiatric disorders. These included depression, mm -hmm. anxiety, sleep disturbances, substance abuse disorders. And that could also just be related design, to brain fog. Yeah, go on. It yeah. could be related to just, you know, the quarantine people being locked inside and also but compounded. No, no, that's not true because they did the same thing in this paper mm -hmm. as they looked at, remember you were quarantined whether or not you had COVID. Yeah. Right. So they oh, looked, right. So it's going to just even hazard out. ratio. Yeah. We're looking at what they call hazard ratios. Mm -hmm. The thing of interest, disease of interest ratio fraction relative to controls. Right, right. Right. And the risk of brain fog, you know, which is confusion, which is related to something they call chemo brain for chemotherapy. Okay. Brain fog was 80% higher in the COVID people than in controls, right? Um, you know, and then people who were hospitalized with the coronavirus infection um, had, like, consistent with the cardiac, had a 340% wow. more risk of a neuropsychiatric disorder than mm -hmm. controls, right? Outpatients, it was 40% risk. Mm -hmm. So what are we looking at here? If you're putting, put these, you have to know the, 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 the criticism of the second paper, because they were working with the same data sets. The same data same. set as this, it's, it's the same Exactly same the same criticisms. data sets. Mostly male, 70 something percent white, mm -hmm. average age was in the low 60s, right? Does that invalidate what they're finding? No. It Probably doesn't. not. This, this, the, the, there's, these are big statistics. COVID doesn't discriminate. COVID is, a, is an opportunistic infection. Mm -hmm. It doesn't discriminate on these sort of things. Mm -hmm. And I find that very interesting, especially because some of the things that you hinted at. Is, you know, is the world, are we as people, because everybody wants this, this, you actually said, oh, the pandemic's over. We're past Quote, that. unquote, people yeah. feel that way. And, and you hear that all the time. You hear people who don't really understand this thing. Oh, it's over now. Mm-hmm. Is it? But the question is: Is it really over? It's if not. All this stuff is happening long term. You know, uh, maybe people will be less critical of people walking around still wearing masks. Mm -hmm. You know, none of us like doing that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, but we we do, and and the long term consequences are yet to be told. Mm -hmm. Remember, and we're also looking too. These studies are one year follow ups. Mm -hmm. Can they have a three-year follow-up study yet? They're likely going. Well, they well, can't. They, they, they can't can yet. They can't yet. They're likely it's, going to. It's oh, absolutely. Of course. But it's impossible to have a three-year follow-up because we're not three years past. Yeah. We can't have a 10-year follow-up. We are all the guinea pigs for future generations, mm -hmm. knowing a little bit more what's going Which on. Which is not as great for us, but for the future generations, I mean. Hopefully, people hopefully will, it helps. Hopefully, people will learn from that. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a break on Health 411, and we're going to have a few underwriting announcements. And then we're going to come back, Dan. Mm -hmm. You're listening to 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all-new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. Well, welcome back to Health 411. We're recording 
in the digital studios at Ryder University. We are having a conversation, Dan and I, about long-term COVID-19 infection. Mm -hmm. And in previous segments, we've talked about data, very, very strong data, very strong involving data. large numbers of people with a lot of very good statistics in it, looking at long-term cardiovascular outcomes at least for a year after COVID infection. That's like when you're done with all the symptomology. Mm -hmm. The same data set didn't just look at cardiovascular stuff. The same data set was used to probe neuropsychiatric disorders, mm -hmm. right? And in that paper, just like they controlled for things known to be associated with neuropsychiatric disorders, whether it's drug abuse, a whole bunch of other stuff, mm -hmm. they controlled for all those things, just like they controlled for obesity and the cardiovascular things and other things the risk factors were very, very high, mm -hmm. even if you had a mild case of COVID. Mm -hmm. Now, it was worse, the risk factors are higher if you had a severe case. Yeah. So there might be, I'm gonna use the term, a dose-dependent effect. Dose-dependent right? relative at, to at, your dose at, of COVID, the yeah. dose of COVID, if there's a thing with the dose of COVID, might be related to the, the amount of virus you got or the magnitude of your immune response. Mm -hmm. There's different ways you could define that. Mm -hmm. But there's almost, in terms of health, Severity, so health, the severity of the infection, just like in cardiovascular disease, there's a dose-dependent association with neuropsychiatric uh -huh. disease. Now, now, question: So, is do you think that this sort of long COVID is is a result of the virus itself or the immune response to the virus? Oh, that, that's a very, very good question. Functionally, they're sort of the same thing. Yeah. Right. When you say the virus itself, it could be you know, long-term viral burden, mm -hmm. right? Like residual virus in you, because maybe the virus hides like a herpes virus, yeah. right, yeah. kind of thing, and it can reactivate a different Is there time. evidence for that? For herpes virus? No, not for herpes virus, for, for no, COVID. For, no, too early to tell. Okay. You know, we're still, it's, like I said, we, we don't know, people don't know yet. At least, mm -hmm. at least the, the, the published literature probably doesn't say that. It's a possibility exists. The other possibility you're saying, does the virus alter the function of enough cells or damage enough cells, and then there's long-term consequences of that of having damaged cells for a long period yeah. of time. So those are the two possible outcomes. Uh, time will distinguish between them. It could be a little bit of both mm -hmm. for what's going in. Irrespective of that, that you're talking about the mechanism, right? We've all heard people say, I'm so glad the pandemic's over. <laughs> what do you say to those people? It's not over. If it was a flu pandemic, maybe you'd have more of a right to say that. But considering all these long-term outcomes, then it, it, it's not over until the data shows that it's over. <laughs> but what would it be? So it's not if it's not over, what is it? It's still changing. It's changing. 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 Okay. I want to put that in your brain because what's happening now? When this first started happening, you know, hospital beds were being full. Yeah. Hospitals were being full of COVID patients. Mm -hmm. Floors that used to be like, you know, just regular hospital floors became COVID wards. That literally happened in January when I was in the hospital internship. Correct. That, that was still right. happening. You, you were not able to visit the neuropsychiatric unit at Capital Health mm -hmm. because that unit became a COVID yeah. floor, right? Which meant a whole, there's a whole, you know, chain of react domino effect of things happening after that. That is sort of not happening anymore. Mm -hmm. People are back in the hospital having, you know, um, uh, elective surgeries. There's a whole bunch of stuff. So people are managing the COVID infections better. People, not as many people are dying, right? A lot of people are still infected. But the point here is, even if you're not hospitalized, 
this is what the data show, you could have these long-term consequences mm -hmm. of COVID. So the pandemic is not over, mm -hmm. even though people are not wearing their masks, they're not being isolated, you know, we're having face-to-face -face classes again and yeah. all these sort of things. It's just changing. Just different. It's it's just different. What are going to what what can you imagine things to be in the future because of COVID? Um well, I mean heightened risk of cardiovascular problems i think depression might if if you know if the if the british study right that's the study you were referring well, it's to it's not a british study it was in the british medical in the, journal in the british medical journal Remember, the database came from the u.s right not not veterinary but veterinary. <laughs> veterans databases yeah i mean i think we're going to see a rise in the incidence of mental health disorders and we're seeing that anyway you know i think i think from covid that that has been happening anyway just from quarantine and lockdown it's only going to be compounded by you know the sort of what we're seeing with the same sort of mechanism of cardiovascular disorders. Well, yeah, you're, you're blending them. There's a lot, the mental health needs of people are greater now. I mean, you could say that there was a mental health pandemic before COVID. Yeah, that's the true. COVID, the, everything that's happened with COVID has made it worse on a lot of different levels. Yeah. Children not going to school, children being isolated, you know, children, people being scared of going out and meeting people. Mm -hmm. There's all this, I mean, anybody who's been a, a, an instructor in a classroom, the nature of the classroom has changed. You know, student interacting with professors has changed. The way you interact with people, you know, at a rest, everything has changed. And that is creating a lot of challenges. Um, and there remains to be seen how um, resilient mm -hmm. people are, or are people so delicate that, you know, bumps in the road disable them for the rest of their lives. Yeah. But the mental health needs, like if you're looking for a job, Dan, getting into the mental health industry, you're not going to run out of customers. Oh, I bet not. And I think COVID is going to um, compound keep, it, compound it, keep a constant supply of people coming. Mm -hmm. to, you know, I don't know. Anyway, we digress. So this pandemic is going to have long-term health consequences in terms of the cardiovascular diseases, all those. Mm -hmm. It's going to have long-term consequences in mental health. The question you haven't said, I was waiting for you to say, are there things that you can do to reverse some of this stuff? Because mm -hmm. we know the data is clear. If you lose weight, mm -hmm. you control your obesity, you exercise, you eat better foods, mm -hmm. your risk of cardiovascular disease goes down, mm -hmm. right? If you, you engage in talk and combinations of talk and appropriate drug therapy, right? Appropriate drug appropriate. therapy. Appropriate drug therapy. That's right? important A lot to of know. the mental health issues can be, you know, the, the, their, their devastation on your ability to function could be reduced, mm -hmm. or, you know, abrogated a little bit. Are there going to be behavioral choice, diet, exercise, dot, 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 maybe someday down the road, medical mm -hmm. interventions that are going to be able to reduce the risk of COVID down the road. I think definitely. I think that maybe some of these same therapies that um, help non-COVID-related cardiomyopathies or non-COVID-related depression, mental illness could be those same therapies that work for alleviating the symptoms of long COVID. How, how, on what basis do you make that conclusion? I... <laughs> On the basis that it helps the disorders without COVID, so why wouldn't it help them with COVID? Because you're making it up. What do we have to wait to have happen? Do you think people are going to study those things? I think so. Absolutely. You're going to get some exercise physiology people who will start a paper saying, it's well known that cardiovascular exercise reduces 
you know, cardio, you know, pr you know, probability of having a heart attack. Well mm -hmm. known. We are going to exercise COVID survivors and see if it reduces in the long term, you know, cardiovascular disease over and above, mm -hmm. like, to neutralize the effect of the virus. I don't see a reason why it wouldn't. Well, there may be, there may not. It has to be what's going on underneath. Mm -hmm. Like you said, is it because there's a long-term viral load? Is it because there's damage? Mm -hmm. You know, something that's dead or damaged that doesn't necessarily can be fixed. That's true. It just broke. Yeah. Like right? you, you can't fix lung scarring. You can't fix the scarring once it's So there. that's one of the you, things. You, 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 do you know what I mean? Yeah. It happens. So the idea is, the, the answer I'm trying to probe out of you is the idea is we're going to have to wait and see until the research is done. If you believe in evidence-based medicine, you say, just because this worked for disorder mm -hmm. A, right, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean it's going to work for disorder B. Right? And that, it's more science. I mean, science is an evolving, living process and people are always trying to prove each other wrong but that's what science yeah. is it's right you try to prove each other wrong saying my idea is better than your idea mm -hmm. or your idea didn't include everything it doesn't invalidate the scientific process so much of what we do on health 411 is talking about the data right that's out there not like you said, oh, I feel this, you know, the gods bestowed me with this knowledge, right? Which a lot of politicians do, mm -hmm. right? You see this all the time. People making stuff up for clicks, for mm -hmm. attention. Oh my God, the clickbait on the for, internet is for, so, for money. so it, bad. It, it, it almost doesn't matter what they say. Yeah. You could get in there and you can put anything out there if your goal is to try to get advertisers or click or just attention. Yeah. Sometimes the craziest things get the most attention. And I think that's a phenomenal case for improved science education in and general, that, not just with COVID. That's why we're doing this yeah. and that's why when we talk about the things we're talking about i say this is a paper that came out in a peer-reviewed high-end medical journal mm -hmm. right so nature communications with the cardiovascular one the british medical journal with the neuropsychiatric one these are sort of high-end journals these mm -hmm. are peer-reviewed not facebook posts these are not <laughs> facebook posts from you know somebody who lives under a bridge yeah you know in a place you know where there's you know, no I mean, what do you have against people living under bridges? I, some of my favorite friends, my best <laughs> friends are trolls there. So they all live under bridges and I have nothing against them. So that, that's excellent, an excellent segue. We've given some pe people some things to think about. Um, this is 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. We are recording from the Digital Bronx studio, Studios at Ryder University. Thank you for listening to Health 411. This Health 411 program is part of Capital Health and Ryder's efforts to bring people together to address issues associated with all aspects of health and healthcare. We hope today's conversation has given you some things to think about, about what's now being called long COVID. If you have questions and or comments about this program or want to make suggestions for future broadcasts, please email us at health411 at rider.edu. Remember, you have a doctor's appointment scheduled for every Sunday at 10 a.m. Don't miss the all-new Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Karp and our expert medical guest from Capital Health. You can listen to Health 411 anytime on demand. Go to 1077thebronc.com slash health411 to listen to past episodes or tune in every Thursday at 9 a.m. to hear the weekend rewind edition of Health 411. Health 411 on 1077 The Bronc is underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. Capital Health is the region's leader in providing progressive quality patient care with exceptional physicians, nurses, and staff as well as advanced technology.